pleased to meet you. And, uh, pleasure and, to meet you too. Yes, and, and thank you for joining me in this conversation. And um, actually, the context is uh, the York Unlimited uh, campaign of the university, and that is about uh, mental health research and student mental health, which we also think is, is very important. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the professors working on that in the university. And um, um, we thought that uh, you are an advocate for mental health and, uh, uh, and mind in particular. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you have also given much thought on your own mental health. And so we thought you, you would be an excellent, excellent person to, uh, to give us your, your insights <laughs> on that. Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, actually, well, we are now currently, of course, in this pandemic. Um, which is, is quite something and, and we are, it has huge effects on our way of life. Um, we are in lockdown, we, uh, we have to socially distance, which is not at all in our nature. I think at least of most of the people. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we can uh, lose our loved ones, we can lose our jobs. Uh, uh, so, and actually when the pandemic will be over, it might very well be that, that there are still mental health issues then and mm. we i wondered can you give me your thoughts about what according to you would be the greatest concerns then for mental health well i think it's interesting with you having a the background of a university campus one of the first things i think about um is youth young people um it seems to be um and i think we've known this instinctively in the culture before um you know, science and epidemiology and uh, em empirical research proved it, that yes. late adolescence into early adulthood seems to be a very vulnerable time for young people. It seems to be slightly more men than young men than young women, but that's not especially important because it's a lot in both cases. And probably people know the sort of urban myths that have been ex in existence for decades when 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 students arrive at a university someone will tell them you know this university has the highest suicide rate in Europe uh, and every every student has been told that about their university yeah, really so whether you went to Bristol or York or Cambridge uh, there's a sort of black humor about that and what it is is the fact that people have always recognized that young people leaving home gathering together in the intense atmosphere of a university um, are especially subject to self-doubt, feeling excluded, and for anxieties and stresses to build up in, in enormous ways. Now, things have changed in the past 10 or 15 years in terms of pastoral care, especially in the realm of mental health for students, uh, both from the students' unions and from the chaplaincies yeah, and from the right. medical departments of the university. So there's yes. a lot good going on. But... This pandemic, of course, amplifies and magnifies so many of those issues. And I think partly people are worried about whether they're getting it wrong. You know, there's this terrible, it, when it's just a normal, a normal academic year, students are fearful that they're losing out, they're not catching up, everybody's cleverer than they are, they've missed <laughs> out on various yeah. social skills and that they're just lonely and they can't join in. Um, but when you add to this the pandemic, there's a feeling that 
other people have got more friends, a better support network, or other people seem to be more cheerful because social media is showing them as baking cakes and laughing with their friends. And yeah. I'm not like that. I'm lonely and I'm anxious yeah. and I'm very, very upset about my future, which I can't, I can't see it. Uh, all these things obviously make what is already a hothouse, a university campus, uh, an even more threatening place for, for many people. Um, it's, it's, it's important to allow young sensitive people to be sensitive, to be afraid. Um, it, 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 the, the whole sort of point of student fellowship is that you can explore this uh, amongst yourselves. Um, and laugh at yourself and be supported and have a kind of healthy ability to, to examine your own mental and cognitive nature, because that's part of what university allows you a space to do. But all that is now out of the window. And it is, it is a, it is yeah. a, yeah, well, well, we have been talking a lot in, in the university about the students and, and how we can support them, because it is obvious that, that, um, this is a very challenging time and they are very young, you're, you're right. And, and the thing is, growing older actually makes you more resilient because um, um, you can think of ways you used to try to cope with, with problems in the past and, and you know a bit what worked and what didn't. But for young people, it's, everything happens for the first time. I mean, you go to the university for the first time, you leave the house of your parents, you're, you're trying a study, it's all new. And so that is new. And then there's this pandemic. Well, the pandemic, I think for all of us is new. That, that we can say, and that unites us, I think. that um, actually We did a study and we did a survey amongst students in university and staff actually, because we were concerned about that. And the interesting thing was that we found that Certainly, people are stressed. They, they felt all kinds of stress and, and concerns and um, anxious, anxieties and, and uh, lower mood. But actually, many of them also felt resilience. And yes, uh, yes. so it's That's very interesting. Yes, yeah. we thought that, and, and we are exploring that currently because actually, it. I, we think that it, it can be very helpful to know what enhances your resilience, what helps you to cope with it. Because obviously we are humans, we are used to, we have to cope with everything. Yes, and it's very interesting, isn't it? Resilience is a, a fascinating word. It's not one we often use. And an even more old-fashioned English word, I suppose, is fortitude. And oh, yeah. um, th nice this reminds word. me of uh, an interesting phenomenon, which is the rise in popularity of the... Uh, ancient philosophy of stoicism. Uh, oh, there, yeah. there are all kinds of apps and, and it's kind of melded with um, forms of mindfulness that are available online and uh, in, different, in different forms. Um, and, and of course, the, the major takeaway, as an American would say, of stoicism is about resilience. It's not that you don't show emotion, that's a, a, but it is about a, an acceptance of of the things you can't change and you know yeah. it, it's they seem very obvious and very cliche but there's something rather encouraging about stoicism in in, in it um you know it's not it's yeah. not an intense immersion into a, a, a constant you know it's very easy to pick at the mental scabs uh, and constantly be examining one's mental 
state in such a way that one thinks one has to be improving it and getting it right. And so much of the anxieties that people feel, I think, are, are, are guilt at somehow not having got life right. Yeah. And the secret I always want to get across is nobody gets life right. There is no golden <laughs> no. path to happiness. No. What you see as other people being at happiness is merely their particular mask. And, uh, and it, 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 you accept and the, the, the accept yourself and accept certain states of mind that needn't be medicalized. Um, loneliness, sorrow. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's perfectly natural to wake up in the morning, remember this pandemic and what it's doing to the world and to society and be sorrowful. It doesn't have to have a special psychological word. It is a genuine sadness that I think is very healthy. We should be sad. We should grieve over the various losses that are being every day being felt by people socially, culturally, and in terms of their own strength of mind. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting we don't look at um, genuine medical um, mental health issues that are real conditions and so on. But the history of mental health, and you'll know this better than I, is, is a very difficult one because diagnosis is so much harder when it comes to the mind, behavior and mood and personality yes, than it is with is um, yeah. the, the, the bones. Uh, you know, an orthopedic surgeon doesn't really have to keep redefining the femur. But if you look at, um, some people may be familiar with the the, uh, the the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, as it's yes. known, which, which mm -hmm. over the decades has attempted to, to define various mental conditions. Famously and notoriously, homosexuality was a, oh, yeah. a, a mental health disorder yes. not yes. very long ago, in my lifetime. Yes, I, um, I know. Yeah, that and, is and so, and, and that's an, an extreme example of the point I'm making, that... that, that there's a constant reassessment of how we talk about the mind, behavior, feeling, uh, and, and so on, and, and, and the major disruptions. Yes, and I think in that respect, actually, what is very important is to realize that we, we do not live in a vacuum. No. We, we live in a society. For example, what you say about homosexuality, there will be, in the old Greek society, it was not a problem at all, mm -hmm. um, uh, at least for the men. Uh, I don't know how it was for the women, actually. But... Mm -hmm. uh, but um, um, if, if society does not accept it, then it becomes a problem and then you have issues and, and that, that, that may uh, uh, destabilize you enormously. But um, yes. I think the role of society also in loneliness, you mentioned loneliness, I think um, we, we find in, in research that there are real uh, associations between loneliness and mental health, but also physical health uh, issues. Yes. For example, pain. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, um, and it's a thing that's now more understood, perhaps, than it used to be, is the relationship between mental health and physical outcomes. The what you know, what you as a professional would call the morbidity yes. uh, levels are, are, are very high. That um, and this brings us on to a thing that people in universities and all over, all over Britain and, and the world will understand, and that is that those whose interior weather is tumultuous and is causing them pain or numbness or overexcitement, yeah. all the variations that you can have inside, especially if it's not been diagnosed, the natural thing is to reach for something to 
to quell this noise. And that could be alcohol or some form of recreational or other kind of drug, an opiate or a, a stimulant. You know, we, we know the story. It, it is very, it is no accident that young people are drawn to changing their minds with, with drugs because yeah. what's going on in their minds is not happy for them. They're not... No. And it's all very well to tell them that further down the road that this will be a wholly destructive and be a, a worse outcome. Uh, that that's easily said. The fact is, if they're if they're just if only alcohol quietens their mind, or only cocaine or speed uh, gives them the ability to get up and enjoy some sort of music and conversation and life, it's pretty hard to be told no 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> no. well we looked into that actually uh, um, because uh, as i said we were very interested in resilience and and we explored the people who who felt resilient if they did anything different uh, mm. from the other students or had had certain characteristics and um, actually the main one was that they exercised so yes. they exercised and the non-resilient ones did not exercise now those could have reasons not to. For example, um, if they had some medical condition that uh, made it difficult for them, or uh, they had to socially isolate because of the virus and couldn't go out to exercise. But in general, exercising is, is very good. Uh, I think um, I think that's right. I, I think the, the growth in understanding of the circadian rhythms, so going out for a morning walk, the sunlight on the eye, yes, as well as the absolutely. exercise itself, yes. um, the dopamine uh, rushes and the rewards you get, the yeah. whole business, that, on, and also on the other side, the, uh, the increasing research on, on the, um, the neurons in one's own gut and the, the oh, microbiome, yeah. the biota, yes. Um, yes. Uh, all of these things seem to have an effect on mental well-being, a, a very strong one. The, the, the thing I would say is, and this is just going by my memory, yeah, when, yeah. when I'm in my 20s, I don't think about my health. I might think about my vanity and do a bit of uh, <laughs> bodybuilding or I might still yes. enjoy sport. Yeah. When you get to my age, you can buy all kinds of uh, prebiotic gummies and you can uh, check your walking on your watch oh, yeah. and you, can, uh, you, yeah. know, you care for your body because you are aware of how contingent yeah. and provisional your health is. Yes. But for the young, the whole reward of being young is they never have to think about when they stand up going, like you know, and all yes. that sort of thing. It's uh, yes, yes. It's just really. Um, it's <laughs> the more one looks at the world as it currently is, pandemic and all. It's just so unfair on the young. Yeah, you you used to be such a reward. You know, the world used to be full of old people wagging their fingers at the young, saying, "You don't know how lucky you are." And the world now is full of old people pointing at young people and saying, you don't know how unlucky you are. Yeah. When I was your age, you know, I had a car and a flat yeah. and you'll never have a house. You'll never have a job. You know, it's actually it's, how young people haven't risen up in some sort of revolt. It's more than I can understand. Well, sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. It's, it's it, I think, yeah. I think, they do nothing like as much as they did in the 1960s and 70s. Oh well, that is true. Yes, um, I suppose one thing we haven't talked about, and uh, again, this uh, you know, I think like you, I'm I tend towards the empirical rather than the rational, and so you look at social media and say, well, it must do this and it must do that. Enough 
even now enough research hasn't really been done to prove precisely what the effects of social media are on the young. But yeah. we can all certainly, as I say, without being fully empirical, we can all sort of reason that there, there, there is something going on in terms of people's sense of self when measured against this vast conversation of, of the world. And it's, we all remember what it's like when in the playground at school, if we were unpopular for some, you know, for a week, for some reason, everybody hated us and arriving at school and having to meet people's eyes and being alone in the corner of the playground. This is magnified by, by a yeah. million percent. Yes. Uh, and we do hear of young people killing themselves because they've lost followers that day on some social media service. And th those things are deeply disturbing. But on the other hand, we have to recognize that there is an ability people have to communicate with others who are like themselves uh, and to find resources to help them if they are unhappy. Well, it can the Like be. of which never yes. existed. Yeah. It can be, for example, if you think of, of transgender people. Mm. Um, uh, I, I used to be a doctor uh, uh, providing uh, mental health support. Uh, and and uh, that was long before the social media. Mm. And... Um, um, I found they had a hard time to, to get support because it's a very rare condition. So it's not easy to find people who have, yeah, who can talk about that with you. And then, then there was a lot of stigma, of course. And um, that was not easy for them. And, and yeah. now, actually, I realize that it is much easier to, yeah. to, to be adopted in a group that has the same ideas, maybe have a conversation, somebody in Turkey, somebody in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and and um, so in that sense, it, it uh, can be very helpful. The only thing yeah. is, is you, you should somehow be able to, to protect young people from all negative effects and, and um, yeah. manipulation or, or uh, that, that can also happen in the context of mm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yes, exactly. Uh, uh, and there is, um, you know, there, there was uh, there was more talk maybe two years ago than there is now about uh, what you might call in a very cheap way, the fragility of the young. It seems that they're more easily upset by, they're triggered by microaggressions. And, you know, people went overboard in their analysis of this and claimed that every campus in in the Western world was a was a was a minefield of potential oh, okay. snowflakes, yeah. and actually, of course, it was wildly exaggerated. And whenever you examined the story that was in the headline, you looked into it deeply, and you found that it melted away into nothing, and it really wasn't a story at all. I think, in in terms of of the pandemic and and how how we could cope with it to to preserve our mental health, are there any Special things, also maybe from your own experience, that you think would be good, uh, would be something to, to try um, as, as a coping strategy? I think um, I'm very wary and always have been of, of goal setting because, um, well, two, one, if you fail to get the goal, you feel guilty and you failed. And yes. also, whenever you reach a goal, you go, well, is that it? What, what next? <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that was the goal. And now what? Yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know, I'm certainly not one for make a list and do this and make a list and do that. But I, I absolutely, you know, even in, the, even in this winter, if you can just get out and, um, you know, what, look at the way the snow 
is on the trees, just engage with the natural world to some extent. And um, you can, if not a goal exactly, but you can set, one can set oneself a challenge to see uh, if one can shift one's sleeping patterns in some way so that they are just what you think might be the, the best kind of sleeping pattern. And there are all kinds of apps that help with white oh, yeah. noise, pink noise, brown noise, um, <laughs> waves breaking on the shore and um, waterfalls and other noises that do really help with sleep. And, uh, um, uh, and so you can just sort of concentrate on, on different aspects, but not as a not as a firm task that you would fail or succeed in, but as a kind of experiment with yourself. Let's see if I can do that. Let me see if I can just shift my sleeping to an hour earlier to bed every night and an hour earlier up every morning or the other way around. You know, it doesn't, it just small changes that you can make physically about yourself um, are kind of tell, tell your mind that you are in control of yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I think that would help very much. Because mm. then it would it would alleviate the feeling of being overwhelmed by yeah. uh, all these things that happen around us and and uh, press conferences of of governments saying and now we have a lockdown and and we won't be traveling until the end of the winter and and whatever they say. Whereas if you if you are able to to try something and then you have control over that and it makes you feel better, that that is very good for you. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and never to feel, uh, as I say, never to feel that you have failed in lockdown. That you know, never to be, uh, never to be made to feel small because other people are posting such fabulous lives. Because yes. that's all, that's all nonsense. It really yes, is. I think. Yeah. Well, you should not beat yourself up. I think that that brings us mm. back to the stoicism. If yeah. things happen to you, and so there is the bad thing happening to you. But you can make it worse by thinking all kinds of things about yourself, that you failed, that, that whatever you did wrong, you could have seen it coming, well, nobody sees this coming. I mean, it's, and so you shouldn't beat yourself up on top of it, because then not only the bad thing happened, but you're also testing <laughs> uh, exactly. yourself. You're compounding it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think that that's... And you know, there's um, um, an old story about the Queen of Sheba and Solomon, uh, when Queen of Sheba visited Solomon, and um, um, she said to him, I, they were talking about things, she said, I I have heard of a, a magical ring or medal, gold coin, um, and that if you, if you own it, if you are happy, it makes you sad. But if you're sad, it makes you happy, this magic. And Solomon thought for a bit, and he clapped his hands, and he whispered to his minister. And Solomon said, I, ha I have this coin. I'm having it made for you. She oh, said, really? You yeah. And he said, well, just wait. And we'll have some sherbet in the meantime. And then this goldsmith comes with this leather glove and this gold coin that he's just minted um, in his in his, and it's dipped it in water to cool it. And Solomon says, there, this, this coin, if you're happy, it'll make you sad. If you're sad, it'll make you happy. And she takes it and it has written on it, this too shall pass. Yeah. Okay. And that's the point. If you're happy, 
you have to remember that you might not be happy tomorrow. It will pass. And that's sad. And that can make some people almost not trust their happiness yes. because they can't live in it. They're going to go, I don't say I'm happy because whenever I do that, <laughs> faith drops something on me. A great, yes. you know, uh, yes. um, and similarly, if you're, if you're sad, you, you sometimes don't believe you're ever going to be happy again. But just to remember that this too shall pass. But you is, know. You know yeah. And it's easier for people for my age, because time accelerates and you tend to be more patient when you're older, less impatient at least, and you're also more aware that if something bad is happening, eventually it'll, you know, the wheel of fortune will turn and, and things, you know, it will pass. But when you're young, you tend to be more impatient and things that are bad seem to threaten to be permanent. And it's just to remember that, you know, time will flow on and things yes. will improve. Because at that time you don't know yet very well how to, to turn things around or to deal with adversity. You learn that over your life. Actually, I was thinking when you said that about chasing happiness, uh, Aristotle says, whether you have a happy life, that is something that you decide at the end of your life. And you look yes. back. That's absolutely right. You yeah. look back, and and, and so you, and then you say, "Well, yes, my life was was happy." Although you had, you know, there were all kinds of things happened that were not nice at all. But it depends on uh, what you, yeah, how so, a sort of moderation that you yeah. achieve. But also, it's very important to remember that it's always okay to ask for help. Yes. It's always okay. And you can prove this because you know how it's okay if someone asks you for help. You know, if you can't provide it, then of course you can't. But it's actually a, it's a fine thing. You know, the, the human's ability to try and help each other or to give advice or to make suggestions is part of what validates us and makes us feel good about ourselves. So you should never feel bad about asking someone for advice, for help, for somewhere to, to go to calm down some sort of anything of that nature. Um, people are there to help. And, and most people are very, very good at, uh, yes. at doing that, to making, you know, making a good effort. Stephen, I think this is a very good message to, to end our conversation. Yeah. I agree. You said that very well. Thank you so much. <laughs> Not at all. It's a delight talking to you. Yes. And good luck with all your work. And um, well, thank good you. luck to everybody watching. And thank you. Let's uh, see each other when all this is over. <laughs> yes. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye, -bye.